This is the Music Snobs Podcast. My name is Arthur, your lead voice, and I am joined by my ho ho My ho-host. By my host. <laughs> <laughs> we ho-hosts now. We ho-hosts. Thanks, mm, ho-host. thanks for letting us know, right. though. Yeah, man, thanks, man. That's nice. <laughs> Welcome to the B-Side, the Music Snobs. This is the Music Snobs Podcast. My name is Arthur, your lead voice, and I am joined by my co-hosts, Scoop, Isaac, and Jahan. As best as we can, we try to, we try to give... Uh, flowers while people are still here but unfortunately we we weren't able to do that with um, the topic of this episode the incomparable uh, Bill Withers passed on March 30th of this year and he by far is one of the most celebrated uh, vocalists and songwriters uh, in black music and he actually had not made a record uh, in what 35 years i believe his last album was recorded in 1985 he was actually a late bloomer from the standpoint of starting a professional singing career uh, i believe he was in his early 30s and had already been a um, uh, a carpenter uh helped to assemble uh airplanes uh and airplane parts um had been in the military uh and he left music in the same kind of way that he came to music. It was just um, not something for him to do, but it was just another part of his journey. And uh, so today we're going to ask the question, is Bill Withers the truest representation of black music? You know, loss is something. We, we, you know, we say we lost Bill Withers or, you know, we lost Maurice White. Or we lost Prince, you know. But another side of that is also discovery. And for me, um, I had long been aware of Bill Withers' catalog, um, but I had not delved into it. Um, I knew more than just the tentpole songs, um, Lovely Day or Lean On Me. Um, But I hadn't really listened to his albums in, in, you know, in their entirety. So... I feel like I found something in his passing and it connected dots for me, things that I had heard, not just through, say, samples, but heard in, you know, my aunt's house when I was little, my my grandmother's house. So, you know, I feel that that his passing led me to a larger understanding of why he was important. Anybody have the same kind of feeling? I know Isaac, kind of like me, Isaac isn't isn't steeped in the knowledge of his discography. I mean, that was man. I feel like you know we need to pass the the offering bowl around right now. You you just did. You just brought us to church right there. <laughs> I mean, that was. <laughs> I, don't know, <laughs> I don't know if you wrote that down or not, but that was moving. Um, no, I, I I discovered him as well, and I think that like a lot of artists that you you know you've heard a lot. Um, through the years, like you said, the tent pole songs, um, mm-hmm. but even more so, 
you've heard the DNA of his music and the lineage of music that followed him. So it was like the right. music that Absolutely. I grew up on was definitely influenced by Bill Withers, even though I wasn't you know, aware of Bill Withers outside of Preach. Lovely Day and, you know, um, mm-hmm. songs like that. So, you know, going back to the source and this is something I encourage everyone to do, you know, just as a, just as kind of a tangent, we had a conversation um, via text um, a few weeks ago and we were talking about how, you know, people who are maybe a generation behind us how they look at a certain artist and, you know, exalt this certain artist. And, you know, we were talking about how well, well, they exalt this artist and this particular era of this certain artist simply because that's what they grew up on, you know, and they're, they're not as big on what happened before, even though what happened before is what made that artist who he is. Um, And so, you know, thinking about that, it made me think, you know what, it's important to kind of, even when you, whether your exalted artist is, you know, Michael Jackson, uh, Prince, Beyonce, whoever, you know, your exalted artist is, it's important to go back and listen to who influenced that artist um, because it just opens you up. It may it may even make you love the, exa- the exalted artist even more because now you understand, you know, them a little bit better. And so listening to Bill Withers, it was just like, OK, I, I see where so and so got this or I see where you know, this element came from and how it was passed down from Bill through these other artists and, you know, into hip hop and other genres. Um, And that, that was, that was a powerful thing. And your, your concept, Arthur, about finding something through loss. um, I think, you know, that that's a good analogy for a lot of his songwriting, you know, um, his, a lot of his early songwriting, it seems like grandma's hands and some of these other ones are about, Loss, you know, the loss of someone or the loss of love and what he found or what he got out of that, you know, so it's like almost like mm-hmm. a, a folk story, you know, a fable, you know, it's like this is what happened. This is why right, this means something right, to me. Right. Um, and that's that's a very from a writing standpoint, I know Scoop will back me up on this. That's a very not only is it a difficult thing, it's a very powerful way of writing. You know, to take those things and then turn them around, make you feel the loss. But at the same time, show you what I gained from that. Um, so I just, I have a lot, I you know I've always had a lot of respect for him because he's just one of those icons that you, you know, you even if you're not familiar with all this stuff, it's like, yeah, he's one of the greats. But then when you dive into his catalog and you watch, I mean, that BBC uh, documentary, um, which by the way, we need to put a link up for that pretty quickly because it keeps getting taken down. Um, still Bill? Yeah, Still Bill. The, still one, Bill? the one link that I had earlier a few months ago, gone. Then I got another one. Um, taken down again so I found one recently mm-hmm. that was only put up like uh, I think like eight weeks ago um, so we probably need to put that up pretty, but that that documentary was beautiful and it was beautiful because mm-hmm. it, it talked about him as a but it, it talked about him as a musician but it really didn't like it wasn't like a breakdown of his career you know what I'm saying it really started off with like right. okay this is how he became famous now that you know that let's go ahead and talk about what's really important and it's this whole thing about him coming to grips with you know um getting older and his place in the world and you know his viewpoints on art and fame and it was just like wow this it was it was beautiful um so i really recommend you know not only listening to this man's catalog but just understanding this man um and his point of view you know i I try not to speak in hyperbole but watching that documentary listening to his music watching interviews i feel like everything out of his mouth was wisdom (laughs) (laughs) man there was so much the one thing that he said that got me... First of all, let me say this, because I, I shared Isaac's same experience where you're trying to find this 
documentary because the, it's been taken down, but somebody's reposted it. Now, we're talking about a man who hasn't made a record in 35 years hmm. that many people might even make the mistake of calling him like a one-hit wonder or a two, three-hit wonder. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But it's important enough to make this available so that other people can see that his career... This is one of the songwriters that actually, you know, made the footprint that other, <laughs> that other singers are trying to follow, you know, 100%. thereafter. But he really is. I mean, he demands this full of wisdom. The the biggest thing, the one thing that jumped out at me, at least the first thing that I had immediately sent Jahan a text about, was that Withers was talking about fame and 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 and, and stardom. And uh, I think he was giving this advice to his daughter, who's an aspiring singer. I might be wrong about that. His daughter is, is, is a vocalist herself, but I might be wrong about the context that he was giving her this advice. But what he said was that on your way to wonderful, you're going to have to pass through all right. And when you get to all right, you got to look around and get used to it because that may be as far as you're going to go. To say that at any point, at any stage, you have to be comfortable with the surroundings that you're in. Because that may be as far as you're going to go. So it's always this resolving of, you know, who you are and what you're doing. And I think he was saying that, like, not to disparage all right. I think he was saying all right is perfect. Yeah, 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 yeah. And -hmm. it's not just that quote. Like, so many interviews I've seen with him, he he really projected that happiness was the goal um and I th- he used an example a musical example saying if you're a lounge singer singing to like 30 people a night if you're happy if you're killing it if you're giving the best that you can do and you're nailing it and you're happy everybody's happy that's a beautiful goal you don't need to necessarily be on the cover of rolling stone or selling out madison square garden for that happiness to be satiated Right. And the good thing about that is he never associated happiness with mediocreness. It wasn't that, yeah. you know, just be happy settling. It was like, you know, still yeah. try to get the most out of yourself. And that was one of the things. Absolutely. And I, yeah, and I'll say, I haven't seen the documentary. I haven't watched that. And my experience with Bill Withers is totally different than all three of you all's. But, you know, um, from what I understand about him, that was something he didn't do in the way he just functioned in doing everything himself. So it wasn't like I'm going to. I'm going to learn and teach myself how to play the guitar, but I'm, you know, it's not that I need to be a virtuoso, but I'm not going to just settle on being mediocre at this. I'm going to start writing songs. I'm going to learn how to play the piano, but I'm not going to do this and be mediocre at it. I'm going to find a place where I can be happy. I don't need to be on tour with, I don't need to open for Jeffro Toll. That ain't what I'm about, mm-hmm. but I'm, you know, I open my own thing, but as long as I'm doing this and I'm just not settling for mediocre. So I think you're right, Jahan, but I think it needs to be stressed that the one thing Especially to the people that may be listening and this generation that we're living in now. I don't want anybody confused that just being happy means you're settling for not getting the best out of yourself. Right. He never did that. He he was able to pull out of himself more than. I agree. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Absolutely. I mean, his daughter is a singer, right? She's a very good singer, actually. And she was saying that she was sort of deliberately withholding her material from him when she first started doing it because, you know, it's. Bill Withers right. you want to mm-hmm. you know she wanted to mm-hmm. make him proud she wanted to she wanted to show that she didn't take for granted who he was and and yeah. talent and she even said that the first time she played him anything right. he 
said, mm, this isn't happening. Right. So what I took from it when he said, it's okay to be all right, is in an external sense. Mm-hmm. In terms yeah. of your craft, in, nail in, it. In terms of your practice, nail it. But in terms of the external stuff that comes along with that, the applause, the stages, the contracts, the yeah. magazine covers, mm-hmm. the sales, the recognition, it's okay for that not to be at the A1 top level. Because if you identify what you love, and you find a way to do that every single day and somehow even support yourself, you know, that's that's a beautiful thing in mm-hmm. and of itself. I think that statement had maybe a double or maybe even a triple meaning because to me, I also took it that he was telling, if not his daughter, but telling, you know, aspiring people everywhere that also you have to get to all right to get to wonderful. You don't just go from zero to wonderful. You know, you yeah, have yeah, all, yeah, right, exactly. you, you all right, you passed your stages. All right, is along that path. So it's like, don't think. And I, I understand, like his daughter. I mean, the pressure on her. You know, what I'm saying it's like any any aspiring artist. There's always that pressure. Like, I gotta, you know, create the most brilliant thing from day one. And of course, no one does that. But mm-hmm. for his, you know, if you're the 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 child of an icon, of course, you know, there's more pressure. So I understand where she was at, especially she was younger back then. I don't know how old she was, but she was, you know, she was a kid. But I think part of his lesson was like, yeah, you know, you're not going to just going to, you know, go from zero to all of a sudden you're going to write ain't no sunshine. You know what I'm saying? It's like it takes, you know, time to get there. You got to remember this cat. What tripped me out was he was 30, what, 31, 32 before he, you know, became or started signed his first record deal or, you know, put out his first album. So this is a cat who lived, you know, um, and that's we talked on the on the Stevie show about the supernatural nature of Stevie Wonder when I found out during the show. That he was only what I don't know how many, how you know twenty years old or whatever when he did uh, uh, never dreamed you leave in summer I think it was Arthur mm-hmm. um, that blew my mind I was like wait a minute I thought he was like a grown 35, 40 year old mm-hmm. man when mm-hmm. he did that song mm-hmm. that was some supernatural alien type shit you know what <laughs> I'm saying but with Bills like that learned that that you know being a man and being having you know a job and you know experiences and been in the navy and all this stuff. You hear that, man, his voice. You hear that when he's, you know, from day one, from that first album. And that's what made it so easy, that's what made it so easy for him to walk away from the business. Because he had had a life before that. He wasn't, his whole life wasn't immersed in the music industry. It didn't define him, right? Yeah, it didn't define him at all. It was something he loved. It was his passion. You know, but he had a whole life before he even got into it. And that's why his songs were so different. But that's also why it was so easy for him to be like, you know what? I'm tired of dealing with these record labels all this BS that the music business, I'm out. And had no problem walking away and stayed away. It's easy for him. So, Scoop, I, I, I want to know, how was your experience different? Like, how did you... Oh, but just me being older and um, not having... I, where you all had to go back and I think you kind of relived it. I lived in that moment. So, mm, I was mm-hmm. like, you know, I was 10 years old or something like that. So, it wasn't about listening to... You know, uh, Bill Withers at my aunties or my moms and them having parties. It was every day. I grew up hearing his music and the impact on me and a lot of people my age because he was ours to a certain degree. Even though he's a little bit older than us, he was ours. Um, Uh And he was contemporary for us. So what what made it so special for me and experience so different is that, you know, listening to black music coming up in the 70s. If, if, if it wasn't funky, it was about love for the most part. Mm-hmm. And now you have mm-hmm. this dude that's coming out. And, and like you said, it, our, Isaac used the word lost. It's funny you said I never associated it with loss as I did with just something different that wasn't love. 
So, you know, it wasn't about all these love songs. Mm, uh-huh, it was, uh-huh. you know, like I said, Grandma's Hands, I didn't look at it as a song about loss. I looked at it as a dude down south talking about his grandmother. You know, and, right. and, and in the midst of listening to the Osley Brothers, in the midst of listening to Natalie Cole, and in this, you know, you could go down the line of all the groups, you know, in the 70s, all the music being played during the 70s, including Stevie, you know, including the Jackson 5, including everything with Motown, all this stuff. His music just stood out because he was not, it wasn't rooted in just that one-on-one love, finding a woman, finding a man. It was, it was so different. Mm-hmm. You know, and nobody else replicated it like that. Al Green, every now and then came close, but that was just by sound. You know, you had okay. cats like Gil Scott Heron and Brian Jackson did it, but their their content was different. But their sound yeah. was very similar to what Bill Withers was doing. But his was rooted in something that was so unlike anything you heard and coming up, mm-hmm. hearing that in that moment. That's what I'm saying. My experience was different because yeah. I heard it in the moment, in the context around everything else that was coming out around it and how it stood out and how he separated himself as an yeah. artist at that time, not revisiting it in that time. Mm-hmm. And because of that age, like I, th- I think I was like 10 maybe, you know, um, so you start hearing grandma's hand and you start hearing songs like Harlem, Sunday Night. <laughs> yeah, and ha- yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah, became, yeah. you know, back in, that was a party record. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and you think about this, the shape back in the 70s where you're getting you know, Uptown Saturday Night was done in Harlem. You know, Cotton comes mm-hmm. to Harlem. All the black exploitation movies, and now this song about Harlem. Harlem was Paris to us. So it was more than just a song <laughs> listening to, you know, Harlem and him singing it. It was, it was, it was cinematic with us. He painted yeah. Harlem to us as this was our fucking Wakanda. You know, and, and, <laughs> uh, and, and, and Bill Withers, uh-huh, like, you know, uh-huh. at that moment shaped it. And y'all got to keep uh-huh. this in mind. He didn't have a long career. It was like eight or nine right. years at max. So I say it was different because, like I said, I think I was 10 maybe. I had to go back and do the map. I think I was 10 when, when we first started listening to him. So by the time his career mm-hmm. was over, we were 18. And you know the music you listen to as college usually sticks with you and it means something different because that's your college experience. We were listening to Bill Withers every day in college. That was everybody's guy. Yeah. See y'all didn't have when I listen wait, so to y'all didn't have that experience. So and that college music right. is different. And so we were listening to Use Me. We were listening, you know, to all mm-hmm. of that stuff mm-hmm. in college. And it was mm-hmm. it was it was it wasn't upon its release, but it at that time meant something else. So those were our records. So we would go to parties in college and Bill Withers would be staples at parties. And you know how, like I said, college is a little bit different when it comes to music. Mm-hmm. So Bill Withers is a part of my college music experience, even though we lived it beforehand. So that's why I'm saying my experience with him was a little bit different than you all, because I was much more in the moment and it had a lot of more impact because I experienced what it was surrounded by and what it sounded like being surrounded by everything else that didn't sound anything like it. Is there a difference between, um, you know, like Scoop, you brought up Gil Scott Heron, which I think is a really good point. Is there a difference between someone leading you and someone speaking for you? I think there is. I think there's a fine line. I think there is. And, and I think it depends on the artist's intent. But I also think that there's something to be said about how the audience accepts that person. Um, I think in Bill, I, I, I'm, not, I'm trying to answer your question in a way without you even asking it. 
I think Bill Withers came off, and this is just my thing. I think he came off as someone that was speaking for us. That's what I'm saying, yeah. Right, not mm-hmm. necessarily leading mm-hmm. us. I think Curtis Mayfield was leading us. Exactly. Uh-huh. Right, I think the 100%. songs Curtis Mayfield would write was mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. movement and leading this and the other. Bill Withers was just writing songs in a way that spoke for us, and he knew he was doing it. He was right it. there next to you. Right, he was right. And seeing, once again, we can keep going back to Grandma's hands because of what it meant. And the only other song that I can think about that really hit that nerve like that was probably later on when, who, who, who did Sadie? Um, was it the OJ? OJ. Okay, yeah. I mean, no, 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 no. Sadie was Spinner. Sorry, I'm sorry. Thank you. Yeah. So when the Spinners did Sadie, you were able to understand that that song was about somebody specifically and it hit you in a way. But mm-hmm. it still didn't hit you like Grandma's hands did because of the string guitar and the floorboard. It Bill mm-hmm. Withers' songs gave you, like I said, a feeling. It, it put you in a place. So, as we all know, you know, in America, the South is is basically all of our black folks' home because that's the only place we can go and touch the soil and know where we came from in America. So, mm-hmm. when you heard mm-hmm. Grandma's hands and you heard that floorboard. And you heard that, mm-hmm. you know, that took mm-hmm. you to a place that whether you ever been there or not, I'm going to make you feel what it's like to be down south on a wooden porch with grandma on a rocking chair. Grandma's hand soothed the local unwed mother. Grandma's hand used to ache sometimes and swell. Grandma's hand to lift her face and tell her she'd say baby grandma understand that you really love that man put yourself in jesus hands grandma's hands sadie mm-hmm. didn't necessarily do that it made you think about your grandmother or your older auntie mm-hmm. your mom but grandma's hands yeah. put the visuals there it put the feeling there and that's what separated bill withers from everybody else is that his music spoke to you. You know, it spoke to you in a way that made you feel. So when you're living up north like we did in Chicago and you hear about your cousins down south, that was your picture. You know what I'm saying? When you got, look, I was too young to even know what being cheated on was. You know what I'm saying? But who is he and what is he to you? Dude, dude, I like, oh, so that's, that's what my father was doing to my mother. I get it now. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh, uh-huh, <laughs> it, you know, uh-huh. it, it made sense. A man we passed just tried to stare me down. And when I looked at you, you looked at the ground. I don't know. Think that you do that gum it who is he and what is a he to you? It's funny that you brought that song up because I mean like in in my college and the few years Hey well uh, sorry, I see uh, you laughing, I, but you know that's true. So I can say it, you know it's true. You know it's true. Love, love my father's uh, death, but the nigga been married four times, so shit, you know, it ain't no secrets. You know? He, he's heard I mean, that song had, a lot. 
<laughs> and I think this is what you're saying, though. But I mean, I had I had two experiences where where you know in my in, in my early 20s, I had I had discovered Grace Jones, her nightclubbing album, mm-hmm. and um, Michelle and Diego Cello's second album, Peace Beyond Passion, right. came out. Right. Grace Jones did a cover of "Use Me." And reading the liner notes, I realized, oh, wow, that's Bill Withers. Right. And prior to that, the only thing I'd really known were the, were the two songs that I was really talking right. about. The you know pop I mean? song. And, right. And then, the, uh, and then um, Michelle did a cover of Who Is He, Who is he yeah. and What Is He To You. And so when I, dis- when I heard the originals, I was so struck because, oh, Bill Withers, he's, he's a folk artist. Yeah. He's a folk singer. I had the same kind of visceral experience that I had when I listened to Blue, Joni Mitchell's mm-hmm. Blue. Mm-hmm. It was this. It was coming from the same well. Yeah. You know, and I get. I only thing I can attribute to is you know life events, and I had never known before that. But I had never known that black music that we had a folk singer coming from that same period as a Dylan or. Or um, uh, Neil Young yeah. or Joni Mitchell that was sharing that was sharing that true black experience, and I said it to all of y'all a long right. time ago, way before we started this. I've always, I've, to me, he still stands as the greatest songwriter ever, as far as I'm concerned. And mm-hmm. you know, there could be questions about that, but if you look at the small amount of songs that he did, and the range of the songs that he did, and the way that he did them, and how every lyric, like you talk about a man that never wasted a lyric, every yeah. lyric hit exactly mm-hmm. the way it was supposed to hit and to oh, tell oh yeah and, and to tell and live that black experience you know through his writing mm-hmm. not just through his performances mm-hmm. on but just through his writings you know is to me he's the greatest songwriter that, that, that ever lived and beyond Springsteen beyond Joni Mitchell beyond Dylan you know beyond all those cats you know and maybe that's because I'm black and I connect with their stories but Mm-hmm. I haven't heard anything that hits me the way that he did with the that they did, the ways that the ways that his music did and his songwriting did with the range that he did. You know what I'm saying? Right. You know, the br- range br- that he did. Cause cause like we could go like I said, Harlem is nothing like grandma's hands, that is nothing like use me, that is nothing like lean on me, that is nothing like the two or of us. I can't write left handed. Right. You know what I'm saying? It's mm. it's you go through the range that, you know, and, and nothing like who is he? We can go through the range of songs that he he's done, and you're like, damn, it's amazing. But each one speaks to you in a different way, and it's written in a way that, as 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 us journalists say, he he deadened a lot of shit. Like once he did something, there there's no reason that somebody else used that same subject at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, that, mm. I can't write left-handed. Oof, I'm mad that we never got a studio version of that. I mean, I love the Carnegie Hall version, but still. Right. Um, I would have loved that. Um, that uh, actually, also to me, that's that's the best song about war mm-hmm. that I've ever heard. I can't, yeah. I can't imagine a better one. Let's get let, let's let's get a little bit granular on this because I think that in the granular we're going to find we can dive into that that question that opened up the show about is he the uh, the truest representation of the people, you know, black music. And I think that for one thing, I, I think that from learning about him, I agree with you guys as far as the distinction between representation and leadership you know and there's 
that it, there is a distinction. I think sometimes it does happen very rarely in the same song. I, you know, Black Steel and Hour of Chaos to me is a song that represented and led at the same time. But that's rare. I get what you guys are saying about the, the two things being very different. But to me, learning about Bill Withers, it wasn't just that he, you know, because when you, when you represent, it's like you can leave the crowd, get up on the stage and say, I'm representing these people right here, you know, and point to these people. But for for him, it seemed like he never left the crowd. Like he was he stayed in the crowd yeah. and just and just, you know, and just he he never got up on the stage, you know, metaphorically speaking. Yep. He just stayed yep. in the crowd. Yeah, showed he had his guitar, people that piano. Right, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And no, that was no that costumes, was a very no pageantry. Nothing just made. This is me. Right. Right. It was very it was very impactful to me. Um, and Scoop, you'll see this when you do see the doc at the end of that documentary. He does do a performance, you know, as an older man. And mm-hmm. he walks up on stage. Now, part of this is just being an old dude, and you can do this when you're old. But he just goes up on the stage in the same clothes that he put on that morning. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like right. there was yeah. no right. 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 there was no wardrobe. Right. There was no, it was like but he, he just got up on stage, and it was like yeah. it was a powerful moment. It was a powerful moment. He's an entertainer. He did say that I'm an entertainer, but he's not that. He's not you know Michael Jackson. He didn't. He, you know, I'm, these are my words I'm using. But he's yeah. not a performer yeah, yeah. in that right. sense. Yeah. But I think look at just getting back to the to the songs you guys mentioned. This is why I said get into the grain though, because I feel like when we talk about people of African descent everywhere, but specifically in America, there's a great tradition of storytelling, right? And mm-hmm. Bill Withers was, you know, I'm talking about from the griots in, in on back on the continent all the way to the, the cast in the barbershop, the grandmothers Isaac, at church. Isaac, know, I'm going to cut people. you off, but I think you just use the word to explain exactly who he's a griot. Yeah, I think that, I think that's the mm-hmm. perfect word. I think mm-hmm. you just nailed mm-hmm. it. And, and I think that for him, like we're saying what he says is wisdom. And I guess, you know, it is wisdom. But I, I would I would I think probably in 19, you know, 71 or 72, he 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 himself probably would say, oh, this isn't wisdom. This I'm just I'm telling you this story. You know, this is this is true. This is real. And when I listen to uh, who is he? I mean, the beginning of that song is is very, very literal. You know, we were walking down the street. I'm paraphrasing, mm-hmm. but we were walking down the street. Dude looked at you. You know what I'm saying? To look me up and down. I looked at him. Then I looked over at you. You looking at the ground. It was like, it's so literal. And it's like, damn. It's yeah. like, with Scoop, like you said, you was 10 or whatever. So you can, yeah. I heard that song as a grown person. So it was like, when I heard it, I was like, yeah, I know. Yeah, I, that's, that's exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. And that whole song feels like an extended threat. Because you get the underlying feeling that if the answer ain't right, some shit is going to go down. You know what I'm right. saying? It's like, dude, whoever that dude was, something's going to happen. You know, and it's that implied threat doesn't come through because he says it explicitly. It's just the storytelling. And that song, and there's another song on that that second album, um, I Don't Know. And that's the name of the song. I Don't Know. And the thing about that song that hit me really, really impacted me was that to, this is, goes back to Scoop's point about him writing different types of songs. You can throw a brick out the window and hit a love song. You can throw a, a song about finding new love. You can throw a brick out the window and hit a song about losing love. I don't know of too many songs that sing about that feeling where you're in love and it's so great that you start second guessing it. And I just. I just don't know. 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 I just don't
start saying is this going to be gone tomorrow you know i i'm sure there's songs out there like that but this was just such a eloquently simple but complex song and i think that's what he does he did so well is that he combined the, the he said the same things that sounded very simple but the emotions were extremely complex um he talks about you know you guys keep talking about grandma hands he talks about on the dock that yo he that song was about the person who taught him love Mm-hmm. He says that, you know, mm-hmm. listen, mm-hmm. sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, it's a woman that teaches you love. If you know, if you, you know, sometimes it's a man that teaches you love. He said, this happened to be about an old woman, my grandma, who taught me what love is. Mm-hmm. And it was like very simple, but very complex. And that's that's great storytelling. And I think that's to me, that's to what Arthur asked at the top of this, the, the top of the show about, you know, him being the truest representative of the people. The people are very simple, but very complex. We're very simple in our needs and our wants. You know, when we wake up in the morning, what we want, what we need, we need to do this, we need that. We want these things, our desires. But underlying all those things is enormous, enormous complexity. And that's that's being a human being. But to your point, and he expressed that. Let's go to one more song. Maybe think about it. Lovely Day, which is what Mm -hmm. everybody wants. But he captures the moment of what it's like to have a lovely day. You know what I'm saying? You love your grandma, but I'm I'm going to give you something. And not only that. And this is the one thing I can tell you that we never knew about Bill Withers until that particular song. We knew he had a great voice. But the note he held in Lovely Day made a lot of us like, oh, this dude can sing. You know what I'm saying? We didn't think of him as a singer at all. Like, he was more of a folk artist. But go listen to that note. It's almost equivalent to the note that um, my man from the Four Tops... um, Levi Stubbs, I, th- I think Levi Stubbs hits a note. I forgot the name of the song. It hit me, but but it's you know it's, it's, I'm glad you said that. Yeah, I'm glad you said that though because I don't want to just. And it's like oh my, it's like you didn't know he right. had that in him, and mm. that for for us coming up and listening to that, it's like oh now we got to look at him a little different now. Not only is he mm. a storyteller, he just added a whole nother component. To yeah, because I, I, I would we wanna... never looked at him. I wouldn't want to just pigeonhole him, pigeonhole him saying, yeah, his greatness was completely dependent upon his storytelling building. Because obviously it wasn't just the storytelling. It was the music. It was. Listen, when I heard um, Hope She'll Be Happier, the live version on the Carnegie, Carnegie Hall joint. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Damn. It's like yeah. and uh-huh. he's joking. For one thing, let's let's also throw in there for people who don't know. This is a very witty person. Very yeah. witty. Very funny. Um, and natural storyteller. And so in between. Um, songs on this Carnegie Hall joint you know he's cracking Joe he's talking in a very conversational tone and he's being very witty and very funny then he just launches in hope she'll be happier and it's like wow and he has that note you know when he says gone I think is the, yeah. the, the phrase and it's like who did that remind you of Isaac same command of the stage when on a hope she'll be happy oh oh you're talking about the talking Frank Sinatra Frank Sinatra. There you go. Yeah, Frank Sinatra. Yeah, just like just like at the Sands. Yeah, but I do think you know to bring this back again. I think that his ability as a singer and as a musician 
are definitely iconic. But what makes him to me that representation of the people is, is his storytelling ability. I think yeah. I think that the singing and the music is more common. I hate to use that term in you know in relation to him because there's nothing common about him. But that is something I can you think I think you can find in other you know singers. But that storytelling, the way he told these stories, and what you know, just coming up with these stories, that's you know that makes them the representation. I do agree, but I just want to push back on a little thing. I think the way that he delivered his material musically mm-hmm. was unique too. I, I don't think it was just the um, equally the lyrics, yep. like yep. Um, yep. like that live yep. at Carnegie album. I mean, I don't really like live albums that much. Typically, I prefer the studio albums, and I think like live albums they gain something, sure, but I also think that they lose something as well. Um, and the thing that they lose for me is a little bit more important. But that that live at Carnegie album, I think, is an honourable exception. It's um, Just look at his setup. To have one guy on acoustic guitar, another cat on guitar, a bassist and a drummer. And that's it. No layers and layers of keyboards. No background vocalists. To be that captivating. Yeah. If you were to look at this on paper... If someone were to tell you, oh, this is my lineup or this is Bill's lineup on paper, you would assume it would be a little bit more laid back, a little bit more almost folky. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How is it that it's more urgent on this record than it is in the studio versions? Mm-hmm, I think that's unique. Mm-hmm. I, I, I can't think of too many other examples like that. Like even if you listen to the opening cut, Use Me, it's way harder than the album version. Like... Like he goes straight in, yeah, stream right. of yeah, consciousness. Yeah, yeah. No, right. you listen to me. I mean, yeah. it's, it's he's preaching. Yeah. Could you imagine how much different that would have been if he had done it at the Apollo? <laughs> yeah, I mean, for real. Mm. Being, we're, we're talking about him being the quintessential personification of black. If he had done that for black people in Harlem, mm-hmm. how much different that they might have drowned been? out the music. They might have drowned out some of the some of the sound. <laughs> I mean, you can tell from that recording that it was electrifying for the audience too, and you know they. Yeah, reacted, but once but again, he's he's not speaking to them the same way he would yeah, have no, no, if he no, had no, gone I, uptown I and done it for us. For real, That's it's interesting, Jay. You say Jay, you don't like live albums. I, I give your critique of live live albums, but the one thing I love about live albums is how they put you in that place. Because I'm looking at the looking at the album now. It's April 21st, 1973, and he talks about. You know, he thanks them for coming in. You know, it was raining outside. He's like, y'all came here in the rain. And just knowing that little element that it was raining, you know what I'm saying? It's like, it just brought mm-hmm. me to that, to that. And that's one thing I love about live albums is that it brings you to that, not only that that time period, but a specific night, you know, a, a certain night. I wasn't even on the planet on April 21st, 1973. You know what I'm saying? But that now I feel like I understand that night and, you know, the singing or thing. But I agree with you, man. I listened to um, Hope, you, Hope She'll Be Happier. The first time I heard it was on Carnegie, but then I went and listened to it on the you know the studio version, and yeah, the the Carnegie version is 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 the one. It's the one. You know, you guys mentioned um, sort of top line artists at the beginning. I think you you refer to them as the exalted artists. How many how many artists, whoever it is that you love, how many of those sort of top line artists could pull that off, right? How many of them could say, right, we're going to have just a small setup. I'm going to play an acoustic mm-hmm. instrument. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not going to be low key. We're gonna we're gonna push this and make it more dynamic um, than, than we've done before. Than you've heard it before. How many of them could pull that off? Yeah, I don't think. Like you said, I think it, it would be more intimate. It would be you know, you know, more like a little music club type thing, softer. It definitely wouldn't be this. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And like a, it was some... not 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 now. 
that may go back to the church episode we had. You know, yeah. that may go back to his the, the fact that he did this. You know. And it's getting grandma's church. Yeah. Go ahead, Arthur. Like I said, and I think I'm, Jay, well, I'm. I think Al Green may be able to pull that off. To be honest with you, he's the only one I can think of right now. But don't you think Al Green would have needed to use? Um, and I'm trying to think of a, of a of a of a better word than trope because that that's that's diminishing it. But don't you think that Al, Al Green would have had to throw some sexuality into it? To throw no, some sort yeah, yeah. of some sort would, of. But element. that would have been in his performance. I'm talking about the the. the Minimalizing of individuals on stage, like just give me a guitarist and a drummer, and I could I could I could put mm-hmm. it. And that's why I was going with Jahan, not the yeah. performance mm-hmm. itself. Just mm-hmm. give me t- two okay. other okay. instruments, okay. and I can give you a show and make you feel like you know it, make you feel a certain way that Bill could only pull okay. off. That's why I was taking from Jahan's question. To the extent that he can do the same song twice, back to back. Right, yes. use me. You know that one more time, one more time, right. and you're yeah. like, yes, do it, please. Two, three, hit it, and they go right, 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 <laughs> right, 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 right. One more time, one more time, one, two, one, two. I think that goes back to the personification, which is the center of what we're, what we're talking about and, right and now. And let me say one more um, thing. I think Anita Baker could probably pull that off too. Okay, we're gonna get to Anita. W- one thing that I'm not I'm not clear on is 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 why he left the recording industry. If it was one singular thing that happened, um, or if it was just I'm you know I'm fed up. Um, his label wanted him to cover uh, Elvis Presley material, right? Yeah, right. but you know, and he absolutely refused to do that because it wasn't. And I got it as you know because it wasn't him. I mean, there was a quote in the film where, you know, where he says, you know, you you gonna tell me about the history of the blues? I am the goddamn right, blues. Exactly. That's my like, favorite. I quote am this. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that says everything. That he was so yeah. that he you know that he that he that he walked in his art. In a in a in a rather matter of fact way that that to do something for the sake of being novel like cover an Elvis song was it, it was it was absolutely foreign to him it was completely disingenuous to him was it was it some incident like that for my in 1985 for, that caused him my understanding is that the business tried to whitenize him and he was just done with it like I, no seriously <laughs> like I said what's that Elvis, word you you what's that word you just whitenize. <laughs> That's a Scoob Jackson original, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I, from what I understand, I said it earlier. That when I was, it wasn't a joke. They actually tried to get him to open up for Jethro Tull. 
you know, they tried to get him to do Elvis. Oh, I did think that was no, a joke. No, that's for real. <laughs> Just some random no, no, idea. He, uh-huh. he had left uh, Clarence Avon's label, which he carried for Clarence uh-huh. Avon. And that's another thing, y'all, mm-hmm. to get. He, I was introduced to Clarence Avon real early because of Bill Withers. Because that was he was the biggest artist on his label. It was you know so yeah, the so, Black Godfather, so the Black is Godfather another excellent right? So documentary I was that has you know twelve years old and heard about this dude who was the next Barry Gordy, and it was Clarence Avon. Yeah. That's because of Bill Withers. So that goes back to the whole thing about having another connection with him. But once he went there and went to I forgot what record label he went to, Sony Columbia, one of those, one of those major labels he had gone to. They tried to whitenize him, from my understanding. I, I haven't done the research, but from my understanding, they tried to turn him into. Because uh, 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 his record was selling so well They tried to turn him into A softer black version Of what he A, non, a non-black version of what he was And he just mm-hmm. wasn't going forward That's what That, that was my thing that, that was my understanding I think I'm remembering this right But I did read something once About I think While he was working on one of his last albums If not the last album um, He was at a home studio And um there were there was children running around. I think there was there was one white child running around, and the people in the studio were like, "Bill, mm-hmm. can you can you just sort of babysit the child? Basically, can you take care of the child?" And he was like, "Well, hang on, this is my album. We're working on my material. Do you guys just see me as a vehicle through which you can work on your material?" And if I remember correctly, I think that was like a signifying mm-hmm. moment for him. Mm-hmm. That yeah, okay, this is not. This is not working, and um, yeah. and and if and if this is what it's like now, mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. I just don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. White mm-hmm. knives. <laughs> he, he did. <laughs> he did a really good job in you know in listening to him in the documentary. He did a really good job of drawing a line between music and the music industry. You know, and his his wife even said you know that yeah he's he's probably recorded a lot you know over the last you know whatever you know couple decades or he's probably written a lot of songs but you know they'll probably never see the light of day um even she is like yeah it would be great you know to for him to put out another album do this do that but she's like it's not you know but it's not what he wants and i think that any conversation about you know him and his why like arthur said why he was comfortable leaving when he left um in in 85 I think a lot of that, based on that documentary, goes back to the fact that he knew who he was, like Scoop said earlier, before he became a superstar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you watch that doc, you start to learn how much of that is connected to him overcoming his quote unquote disability of stuttering. In the documentary, right. he stuttered well into his twenties. Almost, he was almost thirty years old. Before he was twenty-eight. He was, to... he was twenty-eight. And in the documentary, there's a very moving, you know, scene where he. Um, visits a, I think it's a school or you know an event um, for, for for children who stutter, and you you might tear up when you watch this man because it's very, you know he he you can tell how he's much it's impacted him. Yeah, he he's he's watching these kids tribute him, and then he's having a conversation with them about mm-hmm. what it means to stutter. And I've mm-hmm. listen, I've had friends who stutter. I've heard people talk about you know overcoming stuttering. I've never mm-hmm. heard anybody put it in the way that Bill Withers puts it again him being you know a griot him being a storyteller the way he phrases things and the way he looks at things um, he talks about not only overcoming overcoming stuttering he talks about how it was for him when he was stuttering and you know not just as a child but as a grown man and so when you, you when you start thinking about that and the fact that he overcame that when he was 28 
when you go through something like that and you discover who you really are, um, you, you know, you're not you're not tied to things the way people are tied to right. things. You know, the music music industry was not part and parcel with music to him. You know, it was two separate things. Exactly. And they couldn't tell him, you know, a, a 35, 40 year old man, OK, you're going to do X, Y and Z. I imagine 85. He's like, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. I'm out. You know, yeah. and I'm, I'm just mm-hmm. not going to do I'm going to keep playing music. You know, I got the studio at my house. You know, I keep doing my thing. My daughter sings, you know, we're going to do some things. But this part, this is not I'm not doing that. And I, that's why I recommend that doc, man, because when I'm watching that, that, you know, journey he goes on um, when he goes to New York and, and you know, sits with those kids, it was really revealing. And it, it opened up a lot about who he is as a person um, and as a man entering that kind of like twilight, twilight phase of his life. He would have been the perfect person for us, for David Rich to write a book about. Mm. Mm. Is there something to be said about about knowing when to call it? Uh, Scoop, you mentioned earlier, you mentioned Anita Baker. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've wanted Anita Baker to come make a record for however long it's been. But she went out on, on top. She knew when to... Yeah. On a high note, right. And we have other artists that have said that they've retired, seemingly retired, came back, did some more stuff, retired again, came back. You know, even Prince said that a few times. I mean, he lied, right. came back. Right. So is there something to be said about knowing yourself so well that you just need to you just need to tap out? I think Pull so. Pull Costanza. I, 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 is, is that part of the genius? Yeah, I, but I think it's also not... It is knowing who you are. I think the second component is not letting the business of the art that you're doing take control of your life and determine how you're going to roll with it. And I think in the case, if we put Anita Baker and Bill Withers in the same situation, both of them were grown ass people coming into a young person's game. Mm, mm -hmm. You know, and they were fully comfortable in who they were and what they were able to give. Now, when it started in Isaac's words, or Isaac or Jahan, I forgot who said it. When it stopped being fun, when they stopped being happy, that's what I'm out because it's all about. I think it was you, John, to say finding happiness, right? Yeah. Okay. That it's really simple. If you're not happy doing this, then I'm done. You know, and like I said, in in, in Anita Baker's and Bill Withers situation, they were grown individuals, not necessarily old. They were just grown, and they knew that music, as Isaac said, music and music industry are two totally different things. I can always have my music and I always have control of my music. But having to deal with this music industry bullshit, I'm done. I don't have to do that. I'm a grown-ass person. And I think that's why it's so easy for them to step away. Now, everybody can't do that, especially when you come into the game like a Prince did, like a Stevie did, like a Michael did. When you come in as a kid, you know what I'm saying? Or uh-huh. you come from someplace else and all, and you've been trying to do this. Yeah, you're hungry for it. This is what you want to do. You're hungry do. for it and you finally get your break. At 25 years old But that's all you've known And you empty everything you have into that Now you see success You don't know any better Those individuals is much harder for But when you're a grown ass person You know and you know and you're comfortable in this And you see that this shit isn't worth This this business The art is But the business isn't Mm -hmm. worth all this And I'll be fine without It's that old analogy of I survived broke So I ain't afraid to go back to it (laughs) You know, it takes a special individual to do that, especially at the expense of the business, but not necessarily their art. Yeah. And Anita and I think Bill are similar in that way. Go ahead, John. I'm sorry. I think it's about your goals. 
like what was his goal? His goal was making music that spoke to mm-hmm. him and spoke to other people and made him happy. And when challenges started to present themselves in the form of external parties who had nothing to do with music, you know, people sitting behind the desk who right. can't play an instrument, can't sing, ain't never written a song, ain't never will write a song, you can start to think to yourself under those circumstances, I'm just going uphill here. And the, the gatekeepers are just completely alien to me now. And I'm, I'm not enjoying this anymore. I think part of it also, Arthur, to answer your question is having an ability to read the room and the time, mm. the era. Mm-hmm. Like Anita Baker, she just did one album or well, she didn't do too many albums after 1990, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, 1994, you had Rhythm of Love. That was it, right? Uh, well, I mean, I think she did another album in the 2000s and she had a Christmas album too. But I, I know exactly what you mean. I know exactly what you mean. Right, yeah. So... I wouldn't be surprised if she read the room and said, okay, hang on, 1990s, there's a new demographic that's coming in, Generation X, they're going to be the dominant consumers of music for a while. There's a new style coming in, New Jack Swing, and radio stations that previously gave me love are starting to give them a lot of love, and it's, it's a very different sound to what I was doing, um, you know, beat-wise, etc. And, you know, it's just speculation, all of this is just speculation on my part, but... I think going out on a high note like that is is attractive. You know, she has as good an album run as anyone in history. So, you know, why mess with it? Why fake it? Why had, become something that you're not? Yeah, I, and she had motherhood too yeah, to no, pull. No, no, I'm just saying she all had motherhood to pull her way through here. 100%. I don't want to include that in there, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Agree completely. You know, I think we shouldn't. We we're not dis, we're not dis, we're not disparaging people who stick around though, because I mean, you know, there are the I guess he's an alien right. too though. There are the Miles Davises. No, no, who, I, I am. I guess I am disparaging people who okay. stick around for the wrong reasons. For the wrong reasons, yeah, right, right. But if you're right. if you're if you're an artist who just continuously makes music because yeah, I mean, it's what you do, but cats like Anita and Bill, they have nothing left to prove. I mean, I mentioned Anita's album run, Bill's first five albums or six if you include Carnegie, but. Just As I Am, Still Bill, Adjustments, which we should talk mm-hmm. about, uh, Making Music and Naked and Warm. I mean, that's that's a run. That's a real, real run. I love how his second album was called Still Bill. Like the second album, I got to remind you, I'm Still yeah. Bill. It's like, that seemed like that should be like the fifth yeah. or sixth album, but it's like the second album. It's still me. <laughs> right, 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 right. But you know, I might be reading too much into this, but that was his second album. I felt like it could be him just saying, look, I'm still... Who mm-hmm. I am. I, I was you know, blue collar. I came out of the Navy. I was working at the plant. I have my opinions on life and I'm presenting them with music. It's still the same person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing I think we have to take consideration. Tell me if I'm wrong because you all may know this. He was still living in California during this whole time. He wasn't in Virginia. Like no. LA did not change him, I, which is crazy. LA changes yeah, everybody. But how did he, he talks about in the dark does not he? going okay. back to uh what's it, it was called Slab Slab Force. That's Slab that's Fort. a southern name right there. Slab, Slab S L A B. It almost sounds like Flintstone, a southern town in like a Flintstones universe. Slab Fork. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he he t- t- uh, to your point, Scoop. Yeah, he talks about not going back there, not feeling the need to go back there. So he was in L.A. I know, but how does L.A. not change you and keep yeah, you grounded? Change. Like that's amazing, dude. That, that's almost dude, like a he, superhuman he, quality. We, we said he was working I think Arthur said at the beginning he was working on airplanes he was making toilets like installing toilets on airplanes yeah. and he went on to I think it was Johnny Carson's show and 
Johnny Carson, you know, try to make a joke out of us. Oh, you used to do, you know, you used to, you know, put mm-hmm. air, toilets mm-hmm. in planes like mm-hmm. before you did this. And Bill was like, yeah, that was a good job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, right. Point blank. It was like, right, right. Well, you know, that was a good job. No joke. Uh-huh. It, like, it was a good, it was a good kid. And I'm like, this dude, uh-huh. Cornell West was sitting with, with him in the dock and he, 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 he makes that Shakespeare quote to him and says, you know, to thine own self be true. You know, and that's, he's, he's basically saying, that's who, that's what you've done all this time. And that's, that's really the essence of this cat, man. LA couldn't yeah. change him. Music industry couldn't change him. You know, he just is who he is, and he puts it on paper, and that's to our benefit. To Jahan's point, you know what got him even starting singing was it was about a money thing, and he went to go see Lou Rawls, and Lou Rawls was late to his performance at this club. And Bill was like, all right, I'm waiting for Lou Rawls, and they paying this dude $2,000 to be late, and I'm making $3 an hour Working at this, I can, you know, he's like, I can do what Lou Rawls is doing and get a better check if I'm gonna make See, people I didn't wait. Know that. And that's how that's so. He, and after that, he went and bought a guitar and taught himself how to play a guitar. Crazy, you know, about LA and the point that you were alluding to the temptation, etc. Scoop, um, you can hear that and use me because mm. what is that song about? It's about someone who's dating somebody who's in a different class to them, yes. Yeah, it's framed yeah. as a relationship, yeah. And his friends are telling him, mm-hmm. listen, you're not with the right person. She doesn't respect you. She's not nice to you. And the first verse is his friends saying, listen, look, this is not right. And he's saying, no, 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 you don't get it. When it's good, it's good. And the second verse is his brother yeah. is telling him, look, listen, she is not right for you. She's not nice to you. And he's saying, no, 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 you don't get it. You don't get it. When it's great, it's great. But by the third verse, he's like, you know what? It's true. Sometimes you really do abuse me. You get mm-hmm. me in a crowd of high class friends and you act real rude to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'm cool with that. <laughs> so, Scoop, you know, you made the point about the move and the temptation and the total change of life, etc. And it didn't affect him. Not only did it not affect him, mm-hmm. but he, you know, he put it in the music. Yeah. In his lyrics. And well, hell, I mean, he put it in his life. He was able to pull Denise Nicholson. <laughs> Right. Yeah, and who was like, yeah, and that's top of the food chain back in the day, dude. It's like you talk <laughs> Isaac was talking about Frank Sinatra. That's when he read he reached Frank Sinatra's status. Like, we know he was always cool because of his persona. But when you pull Denise, like room 222 Denise, <laughs> like it was her and Turquoise Irvin were two of the finest black women in the history of the 70s. <laughs> and, 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 he said the history and, of the and, 70s. And, and, <laughs> And you pull her, and then and then he that's, and then that's he another that Scoo Jackson original, the history of the seventies. Man, I'm telling you, <laughs> classic. So he he didn't live it just in song. Jackson Jahan. got hits with us, I tell you. No, he right. he, he didn't Lyrics. live it just in song, Jahan. He lived it through his life. <laughs> Absolutely, and in fact, in fact, another example. I'm glad you brought up Denise Nicholas. Denise Nicholas, Nicholas, right? Nicholas, Nicholas, yeah, Denise Nicholas, yeah, yeah. I'm glad you brought up Denise Nicholas because um, one of my favorite albums of his is Adjustments. I don't think it's Adjustments, Jay. I think it's Adjustments. Well, you putting that English the plus- thing on there. He talked about you at Carnegie Hall, Jay. It starts with he an talked apostrophe. about you at Carnegie Hall because remember he told the, the audience. It starts with an apostrophe. Remember he told the audience they were like he was like, listen, I know this is New York, y'all sophisticated, 
but it's not make us holla. It's make us holla. <laughs> He's like, he, put the, he says make us holla. Yeah, right, it's right. like, I thought about you because you, you would have been in the audience with the uh, correct br- English pronunciation. <laughs> right, right. Okay. But if you look at the record, bro. No, I'm looking at it now, see. man. It's, a, it's, a, it's the uh, inverted. Uh, Plus adjustments like plus sign adjustments add adjustments and even if you look at the liner notes you'll see that he says we all have to make adjustments or is the old folks back home okay, well, maybe maybe adjustments okay they got it wrong i see what you're saying it's on the cover but mm-hmm. but anyway that's you know that's a hell of a breakup album yeah it's a divorce album right before mm. here my dear though before, <laughs> right, before that. Here, mm. my dear, yeah. right now we have some we have some do yeah right okay well hold on <laughs> but adjustments isn't that isn't that when Avon's label, the Sussex Records, started to fall apart? Was that happening as well? I don't mm. remember the timeline. Jahan probably knows. Yeah, yeah. I'm not too mm. sure, but I think there was some kind of issue. Like, I know it was recorded under Sussex. Oh. Um, but either Columbia bought it or there was a legal issue with it. Um, but yeah, it came out under Columbia, even though it was recorded mm-hmm. under Sussex. Mm. Well, we have a little bit of deal um, because, and for those of you who are new, new to the show, diametric opposition because um and i have to full disclosure i've only listened to adjust or excuse me adjustments once and you're talking a lot of shit but you got it wrong too (laughs) 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 that's your your influence embrace it (laughs) that's your influence on me i'm hanging out with you i'm a good influence please um but i've only listened to this album once and it's it's 37 minutes so blinking is gone so you really need to actually sit and listen to this album it's not something you just put on while you're doing something else and the marriage was only a year, right? right? That's, that's reflective year, right? of the yeah. marriage. Mm-hmm. So I need to listen to it again. But I think that what this album didn't hit me that hard, you know, compared to the, you know, to the to the previous albums. This album really didn't really impact me that hard at all. And I think part of the problem is that, Jay, you told me before I heard it, you know, before I listened to it, it's his here, my dear. So my expectation, you know, was very high. Um, but this album really didn't. There's no, there's nothing on here to stand. I'm, I'm saying this apprehensively again because, you know, you go back and listen to an album, then all of a sudden it's like, oh shit, I shouldn't have said that because this song right here is, you know, is is one of the best. But I have to say, just at one listen, Justmas really didn't, you know, hit me that hard. But I'm definitely going to give it another try because I mean, it's, it's Bill Withers. That's fair. I, you know, they are different albums, no doubt. Um, I mean, look. Is it fair to say that Marvin was a different character to Bill Withers? Without question. That he was more dramatic in his expression? Without question. And, you know, I do get that there's a musical difference between them as well. But but lyrically, you know, with adjustments, he's not just pointing the finger at the woman in the relationship. He's pointing the finger at himself. Like the first song, You, he goes in on everybody on that song. You know, it's you're to blame. I'm to blame. We're all to blame. There's, there's plenty of blame to go round. Mm-hmm. You want to take me to a doctor to talk to me about my mind. Try to give directions to some places that I. Trouble in me is not 
mistaken, there's no chorus to that song. It's just almost like a stream of consciousness where he's just going in. And um, I think I think the song even fades mm-hmm. while he's still going in. So it's kind of like, I'm not finished. No, you're finished, bro. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, there's several other songs that uh, take that notion too. I mean, the same love that made me laugh. I did like that song. Mm-hmm. I did like that song. And I think I heard it. I think I... I heard it somewhere else first, but I did. I did dig but that song. I think I feel the same way. Which it was. I think the whole album was that. That uh, Jahan. I think it was just a stream of consciousness. Correct. You know, and with, when you have somebody that's a storyteller, like Bill Withers, sometimes I think he's at his best, and it's best for him to be able to step away from certain things, so you can really see and paint the picture that needs to be painted, as opposed to just dealing with stuff emotionally. And I don't think he did this on justice. I think it was just stream of consciousness. When I said that the bar, I guess I, my expectations were something, I didn't mean to say that I would be comparing this to Hear My Dear because I wouldn't want to do that. And I wouldn't want to apples and oranges, him and uh, Marvin, because I actually think they have much more in common than they do you know, differences. I think that they're both natural storytellers. I think the honesty in both of them um, is not just because, you, like you said, I think Marvin was... Uh, what was the word you used? Dramatic, I think. Dramatic, um, yeah. And I do think he was more dramatic, but I also think he was capable of very quiet introspection on Anna's song, talking about, you know, just sitting there and watching the kids run around. You know, that's a very intimate moment um, that seems very Wither-esque, you know, if you if you will. So I think that they had a lot more in common. But I, like I said, I'll listen to the album again. I think that it just didn't, it didn't snatch me. You know what I'm saying? It didn't grab me. Um, so I got I to gotta give it another listen. <laughs> Right, so while you're trying to minimize the opposition that we have, let me let me bring it back up. Crank <laughs> <laughs> Craig it back up. That's what you're good at. <laughs> I want to say that Justments is the least feel sorry for myself breakup album of all time. Okay. But that's who he was, Johan. That sounds yeah, profound. I, I agree. Yeah. That's, I mean, who, that's who he was. It's almost, I mean, it's not quite true to say, but it's almost nothing low about it. It's like, nope. it's, it's almost like it's just all facts. Mm-hmm. And Marvin was, it was introspective in a different way, um, but I think there was a little bit more self-thought or, you know, um, No, but that's who, that's who he there. was too. You know what I'm saying? I think right. they're both indicative yeah. of who they were as individuals. I don't think, I don't think Bill yeah. Withers had a problem walking away from anything. <laughs> like he, <laughs> he, he's like, he's like, fuck you, I'm good. I'm gone. You know, I ain't got to go through all this shit right <laughs> Look, I'm fine. I'm good his, and his, I'm going to be good. His, you know. His wife, um, his his his, his wife, uh, well, I forgot her name, John, the one he was you know, married to, the longest one he he was married to when he Marcia. passed, Marcia, um, who herself is very was very is very eloquent. She's a MBA, I think, and she she said about him that what one of the things I guess that attracted her to him was the fact that he was. She she said, you know, very few men can express their feelings, can express their you know, mm-hmm. in, in such a not just express them, but then do it in such a poetic way. It's so rare. But then she said, but he's also tough. He's, you know, he's, 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 he's able to express that, but he's still like a tough, you know, quote unquote man, you know? Um, and that you get that from it to, to back up Jahan's point when he tried to escalate the DO. Um, I actually agree with him. You get that. Um, but to like, like Scoop said, that's him being true to he, who he is. And that's Marvin being true to who Marvin was. And I think that's why we, those artists, you know, are so rare because even a lot of the artists, other artists we love, not mentioning names, they weren't always true to who they were. You know, you can tell when they were putting on a persona or putting on, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. what they thought was going to hit. Um, so it's rare, extraordinarily rare 
um, for artists like, you know, Marvin, Bill, Anita, uh, Sade. You know, it's, it's very rare to find artists who can uh, stay true to thine own self um, for, for extended periods of time. You know, we um, I know, you know, because you all were there, but we did the show on spirituality in music. And, and, and I don't think we mentioned Bill Withers, but suffice it to say, he definitely was uh, a soul singer. I mean, he definitely yeah. um, fit in that conversation. And, more, more than most. Uh, exactly. More than most. And, and, and if we just can't exhaust every dope quote from this documentary, here's another one. <laughs> where he said, he said, if you find me dead someplace in an alley, it's because one of my relatives beat me, <laughs> beat me to death with a Bible. And... And I think that was, in hindsight, that was a component to to many of the artists that we talked about um, in that last episode, you know, on spirituality. And and that maybe, you know, um, there's such a thing as being secularly right. spiritual. And um, I know that... And there's uh, such a thing as being soulfully spiritual. Spoke. It's two different things, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, I know that I know that um, he spoke on the on like the low literacy, you know, of many people who were really aggressively promoting mm-hmm. religion, mm-hmm. as if to say that they were holding on to to religion with such fervor because that's that's what defined them, mm-hmm. not not themselves, and they never stepped out of that quote unquote box of religion to learn you know more about the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I like that term. Um... Arthur's sexual, sexual, secular spirituality. Um, I like that term, and I, I think that that, or you know, even sexual, secular soul. What, what was it? Did you say scoop? Secular soulfulness? No, no, no. Um, soulfully secular. Yeah. Soulfully secular. Mm-hmm. Um, I like all these terms, and I, I think that for him, learning about him, and you know, kind of looking at the world through his eyes. Um, both through the music and through the through the documentary, that seems to again just bring it bring it back to the to the songwriting again. That seems to help you know to define who he is as a songwriter um, and the honesty you know again and you know the he, again he was so complex with what he was doing but so simple with it. Yeah. Um, that simpleness I think can be can fool you, but that that complexity speaks to his his literacy, you know what I'm saying? His, his ability to be in the world and see bigger than, you know, what's going on right here, but to see the full scope of it. Um, and like you guys have said repeatedly, okay, everything he said was wisdom. I agree with that, but I, I kind of look at that as far as, you know, I'm looking at an older man talking. So it's like, I, I kind of go to the wisdom thing, you know, immediately. Whereas if I look at him as a younger man, when he was speaking, I think it was just more worldliness. This is a dude from slab fork, you know, wherever, but he was a very worldly person, you know, and, and, and I think that that speaks to his literacy and that secular spirituality. Um, he wasn't I mean, you, you said, it, John, you, know, you talked about him not being, you know, uh, depressive or being, you know, very um, honest and very, you know, not woe is me. But again, I, I go back to that, you know, hope she'll be happier song. That's that's a song that is speaks to that, you know, it's my fault. You know, I lost her, blah, blah, blah. But there is so much depression. There's so much sadness in that song, you know, and again, the sadness is honest. Um, but that's that 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 spirituality that comes out in it. 
and also to be fair like the closing track on his first album better off dead is um it's yeah. quite a depressing song mm. right i mean it's um he's accepting blame for everything that's gone wrong in his life and you know he's coming he's saying you know i'm an alcoholic um I'm, my family would be better off without me um, i don't act right i don't treat my woman right you got the priest to come talk to me and i swore i was going to do better and i and i just didn't you know the first time when you're listening to it you're not sure exactly which way it's going to go it could end with yeah i'm just a bad person or it could end with no i am going to do better but in fact it ends quite suddenly just yeah i'd be better off dead gunshot yeah you know i i, I actually saw that coming <laughs> here's some more DL. <laughs> I actually just a little pushback I actually when I listened to that song because you told me to listen to it I listened to it and everything for the first because it's only what like two minutes so everything minutes, for the yeah. first minute you know 50 seconds or whatever was classic Bill it was like he's talking about mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. she's out in the streets trying to you know do you know do this and I'm I'm over here you know selling our, our uh, furniture and you know, it's just real. It's like, damn, that's 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 almost too real. It's making me uncomfortable. Um, but then I saw the gunshot coming. I said, watch, he going in this. He's going in this with a gunshot. Are you going? <laughs> he going to kill himself? And sure enough, when it when it happened, I was like, yeah. I think maybe because I've heard. I think there's been a couple of songs that have kind of ripped that off since then. Biggie and Puffy, baby. Suicidal thoughts. Right, was it Biggie yeah, and Puffy? Biggie okay, and Puffy. Yeah, yeah, yep, yeah. yep. Okay, yeah. So I, that's that's probably why I saw it coming. Yeah. But your, so, your point your point still stands. Yeah. But it's a good example as a song of his canon because it's like everything is so natural, everything is so uh, simple and straightforward, but still deep at the same time. You know, like he really, he really knew how to blend um, simplicity with depth. Well, I, I think as a writer, and Isaac can attest to this, you can find simple stories, but once you find the stories you're going to write, and they can be simple as anything. It could be a wall. You know, it could be uh, somebody's foot. It could be, you know, what a, a dream. It could be a, it could be whatever. It could be a bag. It does whatever. Simply, but it's the angles you decide to take in telling that story what shapes that story. So Bill found, yeah. as all good writers do, he found angles to tell these stories that mm-hmm. were very simple. And it's not that he made them complicated. It was just he took angles. That he thought, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of people that talk about suicide and they want to be dead and do this that, and the other. But let me take this angle to tell this story. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people telling stories about being used, being cheated on, you know, this that, and the other. Mm-hmm. But let me take this angle and mm-hmm. tell this story, you know. And and Jahan, you you put it best on uh, you talk about using me. It's like, look. I'm going to talk about y'all telling me this. And I'm going to talk about my brother telling me this. I'm going to talk about this. I'm going to take three different angles to tell this story. And it's a simple story. It's a story everybody else tell. But I'm going to find angles to tell this story. And that's what good, great writers do. They, it's the angles. It's not the simplicity yeah. of the story. Yeah. It's the angles they decide to take. And they don't try to complicate it or make it difficult or try to, you know, find, you know, certain details. No, it's just like, look, we're going to take these angles and we're going to expose these angles to tell the story. And that's what he did, I think, better than damn near anybody else in music. Is you, you, you said know, it. You angles. said it. You said it. Pointed, you talked about point of view. I picture, like, you know, a lot of movies start with those flyovers, the B-roll of the whole skyline and all the shit. Mm-hmm. 
his movies never his movie started in the street yes. you know what I'm saying it's like it started boom yep, right street right. looking yep. up at the yep. point of view is looking mm-hmm. up at the sky yeah, snaking through the street yep. right exactly. it's like right. you get it you know, you know who he reminds me of or who reminds me of him is um, Walter Mosley Walter yeah, Mosley came so. to writing in yep. his mid to mm-hmm. late 30s I can do and it. those first four books you know what I'm saying it's you know my god it was like Re, you know, just like that same sort of simple, complex um, angles, point of view storytelling that had a soulfulness in it that just could not be denied. Mm-hmm. You know, it's something you said that angles. <laughs> sorry, Arthur. Sorry, sorry. Use, use me, Jahan. <laughs> just use me to use me up. <laughs> it's something to be refreshing and relatable at the same time. That really, that that really hits it because. Yeah. It makes me think about what's 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 going on like right now mm-hmm. that we're talking about an artist that we started out by saying is the you know represents the people speaking in the middle of the crowd, not leading not even following just walking with can we get that kind of art today i, I think I think Kendrick. Uh, tried and succeeded at a smaller scale with the pimp of butterfly i think solange tried and succeeded in a smaller way with a seat at the table what can we get now can you know can, can we get artistry like this it doesn't have to be the next bill withers but can we get the ingredients of inspiration i think we can i think it could come from one artist it's just a matter if he can take the time to sit down and really, really find certain angles to tell these stories. And he's, you know, to me, and in, in a way he's kind of reminding me, he could be, like not necessarily the next Bill Withers, but this generation's version of that because he has that soulfulness within him. But I don't, I don't know if he can write to that level, but if he can find the time and sit down, like Kendrick took two years to do to Pimp a Butterfly, if he could take the time to do it, Anthony Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Mm. I think Anthony Hamilton has that soulful feel. He's rooted and he's very matter of factly in the music he decides to do about where he is, how he lives, and the life around him. If he decided to tell the stories of this, if he decided to just really, if, he could be the one person to do a Black Lives Matter album mm-hmm. and really make it and, and touch and have it, but. I don't know if he has, I don't know if he can write it and find the angles to tell the simplified stories along the way. But he's the one that sticks out in my mind at just right off the top. It makes me wonder. And I mean, I can't necessarily think of a name, you know. I mean, I'm almost thinking more along the lines of generational, you know. In Anthony Hamilton, that's more of our generation. I mean, wouldn't it need to be someone like a Daniel Caesar, for example, someone who grabs... Maybe not him, but I'm just saying something, or her, or her. Yeah. I mean, it's not got, doesn't have to be a man. Absolutely, could be a, could be a woman. Nina Simone was a great voice like that. Rap, if you that, rap Rhapsody could do it if you if you wanted to now. Ah, uh, yeah, <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. I mean, I, uh-huh, uh-huh. I think there's a difference between who you want to do it and who's actually capable of doing it. Right, yeah. um, right. There, you know, there's a right. difference between that, right, and. It takes somebody who knows themselves, knows their history, knows the zeitgeist. Mm-hmm. And if there are commercial risks, mm-hmm. doesn't care about them. Intentions are one thing, right? Mm-hmm. But capability is something else. Um, 
I can't write left-handed. We talked about that earlier. What is that song about? Like literally, in literal terms, what's it about? It's about a guy, some poor guy, yeah, can no longer write with his right hand because he's got no right hand because it was blown off in war. So he has to find someone else to write a letter to his mum, to his mum, to say, look, go find the lawyer to petition the government to get my little brother out of having to go to war and go through what I just went through. You know, save, it's save my little brother, please. I can't write left-handed Would you please write a letter Write a letter to my mother Tell her to tell, tell her to tell, tell her to tell her family lawyer Trying to get, trying to get a deferment for my younger brother Tell the Reverend Harris to pray for me, Lord, Lord, Lord It's about that, it's about the horrors of war, it's about a futile conflict of attacking people who've done nothing to us, fighting on behalf of someone who has done something to us. And then to boil all of that down and relate it to that very specific circumstance, right, right, right. trying to save your little brother right, from going right, through that. Right. You have to ask yourselves, right? It's, it's, I think it's not about throwing out names, not saying that you guys are doing that, but I think rather than who we like musically, who you like as an artist, etc. Who has proven that they approach material in that way or they're capable of approaching it in that particular way? If we're talking about sh- filling the shoes of a Bill Withers. Not, not many. And to, to clear that up, I wasn't saying I wanted Anthony Hamilton to do it. He's the only one that came to my mind to answer Arthur's question because, because, because of the field. Yeah, no, I got you. That's, I got you. All, I got yeah. you. you know, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and because yeah, of where he's you. from and the way he's, his music seems to touch a certain place. Especially from a down south, the same way Bill's, Bill Withers did. You know, you felt that home in, in, in how he expressed himself. And like I said, I don't know if he's going to take time to write it. And I don't know if he has the ability to write it. Um, Kendrick, to your point, though, you know, it, if, if you just listen to, you know, how much a dollar costs, you know, it's basically mm-hmm. a dude at a gas station. You know, a bum at a gas station, and he took an angle to tell that story that was amazing. He has the ability to do exactly what you're saying. Yeah, I'm not mad at that. Right. Uh, at that. Other than that, currently. Yeah, I can't. I can't. I can't think of anybody other than Kendrick. Because I, I feel like you know what, the era that we live in, and this is not just this is not generational, because this is all of us in this era, is so meta right now yeah. that the minute you have a thought, you know, because great songwriting, great writing depends upon a certain amount of consumption of an experience, and then it churns inside you, and then you th- then there's the output. Um, that churning could take a day, it could take a week, it could take a year, whatever. But I feel like the era we live in, the minute you have a thought, you're putting it online somewhere. You know what I'm saying? It's like there's 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 not as much time for consumption and there's definitely not as much time for the churning. So I don't know if, you know, it, 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 I mean, to be honest, to answer your question, somebody will do it eventually. I hope. 
You yeah. know what I'm saying? We all in trouble I mean, if nobody Anderson does it. But could somebody do, do it? it, but I don't I don't know. I don't know if it's gonna be music, Arthur. I don't I don't know yeah. if it's gonna be music. Yeah, it may be film, it may be literature. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't know if it's gonna be music. Something else as well, like whether you can do it talent wise, that's one question. Do you not also now have the hurdle of brands? Like can you do it brand wise as well? Um what I mean by that is there's a lot going on in the world and it's almost fashionable now to um, to represent in a way that others have been representing for generations mm-hmm. but is it only fashionable to do it in a particular way and our fashions you know by their very nature they're cyclical right transient like Bill Withers did not have to exist in an aggressive echo chamber that so many people seem to occupy today like where where you're almost preaching to the converted uh, he didn't have to deal with that and that's something that anyone doing it today mm-hmm. does have to, mm-hmm. they do have to navigate mm-hmm. that. And, and can you truly be authentic if you have to navigate something like that? So um, to bring this full circle, I think, I, I think that one of the things we haven't touched on why this may not happen, Arthur, to answer your question, you know, can we get something now in 2020 mm-hmm. or 2021? I also think that storytelling, we've been talking a lot about storytelling with Bill Withers, and I don't think storytelling is a um you know the, the literacy thing it's yeah the liter the literacy thing is an issue yeah. you know what i'm saying yep. i'm not talking about yeah. the actual you know we're talking about literacy in the terms of not necessarily saying uh you can't read but i'm saying who don't read or who don't like long form you know storytelling mm-hmm. right and even though we all went to go mm-hmm. see avengers mm-hmm. endgame last year and it was three hours long even though there's people who binge watch you know six and seven hours of television at one time storytelling is still in danger to me it's still not as valued as it should be it's still Mm -hmm. not as valued as it was in bill withers time and so for someone to sit down and say i'm going to actually put all these feelings on on uh on tape and put out an album like they would put out a series of songs like we're hoping because to be honest this time period should you know i think that's what sparked your question arthur this this time period should be the um the 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 ignition for a lot of this type of storytelling you know what i'm saying it's like there ain't no what what better time than now to be in the studio putting right. all of this on tape right but i don't think that storytelling is we've lost it you know as as a as a as a people of african descent mm-hmm. we've lost some of that in um in our in our in our culture and that's sad that's really really sad but but you know what if even if it happened would we listen that's what i was just about to ask Arthur. go ahead yep. would we question yeah something coming out this art coming out to say that oh this is a capitalization record or this is a capitalization move or this is a capitalization you know nike who does black history month sneakers every year one it depends on who it comes from us we don't know this now but does everybody or anybody want to relive this situation this soon you know what i'm saying through music Mm -hmm. you know for some people this is really painful you know especially if you connect you know, uh, COVID-19 to this, you know, which is hard to separate the two. Do you really want to relive this next year? Yeah, especially you because be you so might be so happy to be exactly, out of you it. You might still be right, living Who's going to want to listen to it? You may still be living Right. It. Who wants to relive yeah. it? Right. Right. So who wants to do it through music? And we already talked about, you know, how things are being shorter. And like you said, everything's meta now. You know, the attention span isn't there to go through an album. And I want to go through this next 60 minutes and this 45 minutes reliving what the hell we went through. You know, who wants to do that right now? We don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anybody wants to mm-hmm. do that. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, when you do hear it, it's definitely coming from the music snobs. 
because our <laughs> shit is real 100% of the time. Come on, y'all. <laughs> That's a full lid on this episode of the Music Snobs podcast. Find us online at themusicsnobs.com. We are also on Twitter, actively on Twitter at Total Music Snobs. And please, we encourage you to subscribe in Apple Podcasts. Um, please rate and review the show. It really does help with discovery. And God, where else are we? You can follow us on Spotify. You can find us anywhere that fine RSS feeds are consumed. One more time, a very beautiful person, go with it.